You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, we are kicking off Hour 2 from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. It's Logan Gordon along with you. Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. They have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. All things Calgary Flames in Hour 1. Recapping a big 6-3 win over the Jets at the Scotiabank Saddledome on Monday. And diving into some of the latest rumors around the Calgary Flames. Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, Jacob Markstrom with NHL insiders Elliot Friedman and Frank Cervalli. If you missed any of it, make sure to check us out on the podcast, Google, Amazon, or your favorite podcatcher. A little later on in hour two, we're going to head to Dunedin, Florida, checking on the Toronto Blue Jays as spring training gets underway. But right now, very happy to kick off hour two by heading down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome in senior writer for the fourth period. Dennis Bernstein joins us this afternoon. Dennis, thanks for the time, sir. How are you? Doing great, Logan. You don't want to do 20 more minutes on uh, Flames trade talk? <laughs> <laughs> we, we might have to, Dennis. It's the, it seems to be the only thing. Uh, we get about a five-minute break every now and then before we dive into the next, uh, the next team that's interested. Sure, for sure. But, uh, look, it's an interesting time for Calgary, but... Look, coming off, and I was at the stadium series over the weekend. The league is in such a good spot. Last six weeks have been great. Winter Classic goes great in Seattle. Uh, huge success with the All-Star Game, revitalized All-Star Game in Toronto. And then, you know, you sell 150,000 tickets uh, in the New York area for uh, those two games for stadium series. It's a great place to, to be the NHL right now. And then the stretch should be very, very interesting. I'd love to ask you about the, your stadium series experience in just a moment, but I will start quickly with the Calgary Flames, even from a, a perspective like yours, Dennis, outside the market, how much of your time is spent hearing about the Calgary Flames and thinking about what they might do between now and the NHL's trade deadline? Well, Logan, given the fact that our top 25 at the uh, fourth period for the trade uh, watch list is Noah Hannafin's number one and Chris Tanev's number two, <laughs> it, it dominates our conversations. It dominates our writing. And it, it is a, it's certainly a, a team that could that hold a, a lot of the dominoes and could be a major factor in a league where, you know, Logan, outside of Calgary, there's probably, what, eight to ten teams that could put in a legitimate claim on winning a Stanley Cup. So these are two players that could certainly be uh, – difference makers for any contending team as we get closer to March 8th. If you were an NHL GM and you were in one of those contender seats, Dennis, who's the more appealing asset to you the remainder of this season, a Chris Tanev or a Noah Hannafin? I think just off the age, Logan, you know, you're talking about eight years age difference, right? I think Noah is 26 yeah. versus 20, 34. And, and I think he, he fits more Noah for a long-term process. Like, yeah, and you talked about the fact Will he wind up with the team he's traded for? I just think the return will be better for Hannafin. Uh, I like you. Uh, everybody loves Chris Tanev. I get my concerns that the way he plays the game, the style of his game, is more susceptible to injury. So if I trade a player sooner, it probably would be Tanev. I know there's been a lot of connection to Toronto, but could it be Edmonton? Could it be Dallas? Because Dallas is definitely looking for a right side defense, and it's going to be very, very interesting. But you know, at this point, I just think because you have the ability to get to – uh, Noah on a long-term deal, and you're getting in his prime years, he is certainly the more valuable asset at this point. It's, is it strange to, to talk about a guy like Noah Hannafin being available at this kind of trade deadline and then moving on to perhaps signing a long-term extension? It feels like this time of the year, Dennis, is reserved almost purely for rental players. 
Yeah, well, it depends because when you look at the teams that are in the mix, Logan, like I only three. Uh, there's maybe six or seven, but three only have a first round pick to trade. Like New Jersey does, yeah. Colorado does, I think Toronto does. Like Tampa Bay doesn't have anything. Boston doesn't have anything. So they'd be player for player. It's a little unusual because usually the sign and trades, and we had a very infamous one here in Los Angeles over the summer with P.L. Dubois. So to, to think you could execute the trade and then do the deal, I don't see the return being that great where you could say, okay, we're going to get this player for eight years, so you're going to have to add on to the package that the Calgary would ultimately get. So it would be a difficult thing to execute. It might be – and also from the player side – player might go there and think it could be great. Maybe he's going home to Boston. But let's say Boston gets knocked out in the first round again. So maybe he put pumps the brakes on it. So, yeah, it would be difficult to do the trade and then to do a long-term deal, I think, at this point. Surprisingly enough, despite those two guys dominating most of the trade talk in Calgary, uh, the big topic has been Jacob Markstrom the last week or so after some renewed interest from the New Jersey Devils seemed to perk up uh, both sides. I guess just a two-parter for you, Dennis. Were you surprised – that the Flames would move on from a guy like Jacob Markstrom? And uh, do you think a deal with New Jersey makes sense for both sides? Well, you know, they have another kid waiting, right? So that that's the other thing. So when you have a kid waiting in the wings <laughs> to, to take Jacob Markstrom's place, then, yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I'm not shocked because you're not winning with him, right? And he's been up yep. and down since signing the deal. So that that's another issue. So New Jersey – I was in New Jersey last week before the stadium series game. Nico Dawes played great, but now Vitek Vanacek's hurt. So would you like to get Markstrom in there? Yeah, but, but here's the thing. I watched that team, and it's not just the goaltending. It, it really isn't. I know the focus has been on goaltending in New Jersey, but, you know, remember, Siegenthal just got activated, but he was out for 16 games. Dougie Hamilton's still out. They missed their top-pair defenseman. So, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the ideal trade for New Jersey, to be honest, Logan, would be Hannafin and Markstrom. That would be the ideal trade for them because they need help on the D. They need help on G. But uh, at this point, I, I, does New Jersey need a goaltender? They do. Because unless Nico Doss, who did have offseason hip surgery and has felt better than he has in the last couple of seasons, are you really going to depend on that guy? Or do you want to go to Ward in the Metro Division and even get in there? And that's the thing, Logan. The Devils aren't in the playoff spot yet. So yes. you gotta you wanna swing big for that player now, and if you miss the playoffs, what happens? So that's a factor as well. If this team isn't even in the playoffs, yes, goaltending's been a challenge, but it just hasn't been goaltending in New Jersey. The defense has suffered as well. Uh speaking of the the New Jersey Devils, you mentioned you were uh in there for the stadium series and I'll be honest, Dennis, the outdoor games, uh very cool. I think they're great in market. They don't necessarily have the same league-wide appeal for me as they've had the yeah. last couple of seasons. But something about the stadium series and the way they did it in New York this time with multiple games and a couple different teams mixed in there, it seemed to have a bit of a refreshed feel to it. Did you feel the same way? I, I think that most people felt that way, like you did, Logan, until you saw the Rocky and Soprano outfits. And that, <laughs> that kind of changed everything. Yeah. The attitude of the players, and they loved it. And again, you have a... a and the Devils Flowers game was great. They sold 70,000 tickets. They had 79,000 for Rangers Islanders, legit. So that would always be an interesting game. And they, had never, they hadn't played all season. That was the first matchup. And, and I get it. You're absolutely right. Out of market, if somebody in Calgary or Seattle didn't care about those two games, I get it. But the people in the markets do. And the only way it's ever going to change, now we're at a 41st outdoor game, if they sold 60,000 tickets instead of 150,000, then you might have an, an argument. But, and, and again, you look at next year. You can't tell me they're not going to get close to 100,000 in Columbus for the Red Wings and, 
and Blue Jackets, which is not a really marquee matchup. You're right. It may not resonate like the, sometimes the Winter Classic doesn't. Winter Classic didn't get great ratings in, with Seattle and, and Vegas. Yeah. But again, it, it's the live gate that they get, and it's the response. And I, I, the way they executed and they were smart, because I talked to Steve Mayer, who's the chief content officer, about last weekend. And he said, look, we have three teams in that market, so we have to figure out a way to – we wouldn't want to exclude, like, the Devils or the Islanders. So they played two games. They brought Philly up the turnpike, and it worked fabulously. That was a great weekend for hockey, for the fans, and the NHL. Uh, on the Flyers, I know they suffered a loss outdoors to New Jersey, but they're sitting in that third spot in the Metro Division. Outside of Vancouver, who we talk about a lot here in the season, they're having, obviously, on the West Coast. Is there a bigger positive surprise than what's happened in Philly this year, Dennis? No, no. Surprise, right? Because I think when you handicapped the Metro, Logan, I think you had them seventh. You probably had them ahead of Columbus, yep. but behind everybody else. So the fact that they're basically – they're six points out of second. They trail Carolina Hurricanes by six points. Carolina has a game in hand. It's a huge win for this organization. And to be honest, when you look at that roster, pound for pound, it probably is a seventh-place roster in that, in that Metro. It's been a great job for Torts. All the complaints you hear about retreads and dinosaurs, he's done a great team. And what, remember, go back to when he first came in. Like, what was the big difference in this team? Because it's not talent. He didn't like the room. He said that, like, I think the first day. So he's got – he moved on from some guys, kept the guys he wanted. So now this is certainly a team in John Tortorella's mold. It's a great season for them, and I'll submit to you, it, the league is always better when the Flyers are relevant, and they're certainly relevant this season. It's been a great, as you mentioned, surprise story in the NHL, probably the top surprise. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, too, because Danny Briere has got some assets going forward. I believe they have uh, a couple of picks yep. in the next couple of top rounds as well. They obviously drafted – uh, Matt Fay Mitchkoff last year, who's going to come with a lot of potential in a few years from the KHL. But he, they, we say this and sit there and go, okay, maybe they trade a Sean Walker or a Mark Stahl at the trade yeah. deadline because there's also that understanding sometimes you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself if you're Danny Briere, right? If you look at your roster, and like you said, roster probably is outperforming maybe what you'd think this Flyers team is. Sure. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the dilemma that Danny has because – if you trade away guys, and look, if you're going to get a first-round pick for Sean Walker, because he's probably going to get 4.5 to $5 million per his next, his next contract on term. I, I get it. You get a first-round pick. But, but when you trade away, let's say, a Lawton or a Walker, now when the team is in a fight for the playoffs, what sign does that send to the room? I, mean, I always go back, Logan, to the, when Dean Lombardi was here, way back in the day he won championships. Around this time, around trade deadline, he always said to me, I want a sign from my team that they want help at the deadline. This team is playing like they want help, not to out subtract players. And yeah. I get it. Some assets may not, may not work for this team. But I, I've said this. Like, if you're going to get a third-round pick for, for Sean Walker, how does that help the Flyers right now? How does it help it in the future? Like, I think that player who came into Philly, came off a horrific injury, ACL and MCL tear, has proved himself. I think I want that guy in the room, Logan. So sometimes you lose players through, through free agency. Maybe he's still signed to an extension. I would be very, very careful about selling, like, a guy, for example, Ristolainen is hurt, probably going to be out for the regular season. He's not going to be on a team next year. I expect that player to get traded. But to tr trade a player like Walker, who's producing right now in the moment, I think it's a little bit of a risk for, for Danny Breer at this point. Uh, back after that stadium series, Rangers 6, Islanders 5 in overtime. This Rangers team certainly has high aspirations. When you look at what they've done this season, Dennis, does this team scream Stanley Cup contender to you? Uh, 
Depends how the goalie's playing, number one. Fair. Number two, I, I think they need a little bit more. I think they're a little top because here's why. They lo- remember, they lost Heedle to concussion issues. He's back yeah. home in Chechia. And you know, now they lost Blake Wheeler, who I get it. It's not the Blake Wheeler of three seasons ago in Winnipeg, but he was still a third-line player. I think this is a team that still needs to add. Like, do they go and get – and the guy that – Played well, scored a couple goals yesterday, I think, as well. Frank Petrano, who played in New York, he would be a great add on the wing. And what did they do? Did they go to the middle? I know that, you know, John Davidson said, we're not trading Booner. We're not tra-. You, you say you're trading a guy so many times, I start thinking you're going to trade him, right? So what did they do with the 3C? And what did they do on the wing? So, yes, right now they're playing well. They found their groove again. They're 8 1 1 the last 10. They've won seven straight. Certainly they're a Stanley Cup contender. Are they a four round team? I think at least one ad up front, Logan, would make them a more dangerous team. Because when I look at the top, I look at Boston, and certainly you can't rule out Florida because I think they're the best team right now in the East. Uh, but the Rangers are certainly a, a cup contender, but I do think they'll make at least one ad before we get to March 8th. Dennis Bernstein's along with us from the fourth period, checking some of the biggest stories across the NHL here on Sportsnet today. Uh, just wanted to jettison over to the Western Conference. I did want to talk to you about the LA Kings, uh, a team that you know well. They're sitting in the top wildcard spot in the Western Conference. They've been able to put some space between themselves and the St. Louis Blues now with a three-game winning streak. How important was it for the Kings to sort of settle it down the last couple of weeks? It wasn't a great month of January. Uh, We know that, and there's a lot of noise around this team, uh, obviously with the coaching change and everything. What have you seen the last little while out of the LA Kings? Yeah, sometimes teams need to change, and they really structurally hasn't changed the team much. Jim Hiller... It's just a different voice. I think there was a lot of tension. Now, Logan, there was a stretch in January. Kings played 10 games. They lost six one-goal games out of 10. And they were, so they weren't bad. They're still a plus-20 goal differential team. Yep. They couldn't find ways to win. And I think just the coaching change, it came at their bye week. It just, it just kind of loosened up the room. Jim Hiller's uh, you know, uh, kind of a talkative personality, a little bit more humorous than Todd McClellan, who I had a great relationship with. But they started winning one goal. You, you watched the game in Boston. Right, they they would lose that game in Boston four weeks ago. You know, Grant Clark comes out of the box on a breakaway, his first, you know, first NHL goal. They've won three consecutive one-goal games when they were losing one-goal games. And it's not about style, although I will tell you this: Hiller does switch up his lines a lot more than Todd did, and maybe that's one of the reasons Todd isn't coaching anymore because he was very resistant to change. And you see it with Jim Hiller; he's changing his pairings during games, he's changing his forward wall during games. He's getting more saves from David Riddick. Cam Talbot had a good. Uh, uh, had a good performance in, in Pittsburgh. So sometimes the coaching change is necessary. Not that Todd did anything wrong here, but the team just wasn't functioning, wasn't playing well, wasn't playing well at pivotal times of the season. And then when you look up, when they went through a stretch where they, I think they won three games out of 17, when you look at the standings, Logan, they're, they're six behind Vegas with two games in hand. They can still go for the two seed. They're not out of it, but they, they needed to win. But here's the thing. Those were key wins on the road here. You know, they, they won in Pittsburgh. They won in New Jersey. They won in Boston in overtime. But now they've got Columbus tonight, Nashville on Thursday, and Anaheim on Saturday. You've got to go win those three games. And then you're on a six-game winning streak. And the thing with this team is they played so bad at home. They've won nine of 24 games going into tonight at home. That has to change. And you have a very, very script friendly schedule here. So I think they've solidified their playoffs, but the question is now, can they get back into the top three, possibly get a home ice advantage for the first round? But given what I just told you, how they play in the first round, maybe they want to start on the road. What does uh, Rob Blake look to do with this group? Or is he going to be dictated by what his group does uh, before the trade deadline in the next couple of weeks? Yeah. I think Logan, the, the, the only move they could have made or did make 
was getting Victor Arvidsson back from LTIR. Because now that he's on there, there's no cap space. I think there are 22 players. They'll probably have one extra player playing for, you know, extra player for the balance of the season. They're locked in. But that was the formula at uh, the first game of the season. When I talked to Rob at the draft um, in Nashville, he told me that, look, it's going to be tight. We're going to go with Talbot. And it was Phoenix Copley at the time. So fortunately, they signed Riddich. They have him. But this was going to be the team anyway. So the fact that Victor Arfton came back, and is a, a very smart, savvy player. He's lengthened the lineup for him. So I would be surprised if there's any big deal. The only other option they have, if they want to make a move, if they fall here and don't play well in the last three weeks, Matt Roy's an unrestricted free agent. And as I mentioned, uh, he's a 20-minute-a-night defenseman. If Sean Walker can get four to half to five million, you know, Matt Roy's going to get at least five million on his next deal. I don't think that works because of the progression that Brent Clark's made and also uh, Jordan Spence. So the one move they could make if they w- saw a need here, the one asset they could wheel would be Matt Roy. But again, he would be a rental. So that would be the one move. But I think what you see, what you get with respect to the Kings roster as we hit March 8th. Uh, last one for you on the schedule tonight. Wild in uh, Winnipeg, Canucks, and Avalanche. Uh, how did both teams <laughs> respond after what was a 17-goal outburst in Minnesota? Dennis, three guys have hat tricks. Minnesota scores seven in the third period alone. What's the last time you can remember two teams in the NHL dropping 17 in a game? No. Well, I joked that Dan Campbell from the line said that the Canucks should have picked the field goal the time of the game. But <laughs> all kidding aside, I, I, I think the first 10 minutes for both teams, slow the game down. Yeah. Please slow the game down. <laughs> Attention to detail. Slow the game down. Don't take, you know, six consecutive penalties or whatever Vancouver did. Yeah. Try not to get a, a three on five. It was a crazy game. That was like nuts. Like oh. five to, oh, okay, Vancouver's playing great. Minnesota's not doing well. Yeah. Just the run of goals. And now if you're, you know, if you're talk, you're probably saying, okay, I'm probably not playing Casey DeSmith for at least three weeks now after that <laughs> performance. Not that it was totally his fault, but that was just a crazy game, Logan, just the way it rolled up with respect to the hat tricks and the five-on-threes. It was just, you know, that's one of those, you know, I saw one here last season. The Kings in Seattle played a 9-8 game, and it, yeah. it's a once-a-year thing. But just to the extent of that, that was almost like an historic game. It was history for the Wild. It was great to see. I thought it was a fun game, I'm sure. Both coaches were pulling their hair out of their heads, although you know, Talk doesn't really have any hair to pull out at yeah. this point in time. But that was that was such an exciting game. So when, when the, the schedule gets dotted with a game like that, it's a memorable game, it's a fun game, and I think if you're a coach, you think, uh, thank goodness I didn't play in that one. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Dennis, great stuff. Uh, really appreciate you taking some time out for us this afternoon. I know uh, you're a regular with our guys in the morning, but appreciate you taking some time uh, to join me this afternoon, sir. No problem. Always great being on uh, Sports at 960. Thanks for the time. Appreciate I appreciate it. you very much. Dennis Bernstein, senior writer for the fourth period, joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Yes, it's a busy NHL schedule tonight with eight games. Sportsnet's got you covered with a couple of different matchups. Uh, Islanders, Penguins are on Sportsnet, one at five o'clock. Uh, eight o'clock, Predators and Golden Knights. You have the Kings and the Blue Jackets at 830. Devils, Capitals going at five. And yes, Uh, I mentioned the Minnesota Wild and the Vancouver Canucks right back in action after that wild 10-7 game yesterday uh, in uh, in Minnesota that saw three different players record hat tricks. Minnesota scored seven goals in the third period alone. Uh, And like Dennis said, you get kind of one of those per year and certainly looks like that's going to be the game. I think both coaches probably just burn any tape. I don't think they have real tape anymore, but... The video coach just deletes the file now. Uh, I'm like, okay, we're just going to – we're not going to talk about that. 
Uh, we're going to switch goalies. Maybe we're going to bring in a couple guys that were healthy scratches, and we're going to try to forget absolutely everything that we just did. Well, they had that game. They had the Wild had four different two man advantages. It was just just penalty after penalty after penalty. I could not believe what I'm seeing. And Casey DeSmith, I'd hate to be that guy. He was in net the entire game. That's just that is just a nightmare situation. Well, that's the, that's what happens with a back to back man. You you've got to stick with with one guy. You either get him out of there right away, which you couldn't have if you're Vancouver because you're up heading into the third period. So he's already played most of the way. You're not going to throw Thatcher Demko in for the third period. And then here's Minnesota. They just reel off goal after goal after goal, and Vancouver's heading to the box, and you're like, what the hell is happening? Like Four of the goals went off skates. It was just like the worst situation it's possible. It's unbelievable. <laughs> the third period box score is incredible. 29 seconds in, Joel Eriksson. Minute 23, Kirill Kaprizov. 144, Joel Eriksson. 448, Marco Rossi. 512, Kirill Kaprizov. You're like, okay, Minnesota came to play in the third period. And then Vancouver scores. Zadorov, then Besser. Like, okay, I think this is, we've had enough silly season. Two empty netters on top of it, and you wind up with a 10-7 final. And now both teams uh, get to play tonight. And uh, I'm sure that uh, Minnesota is going to get a much stiffer defensive performance uh, taking on the Winnipeg Jets, who let in six on the Calgary Flames Monday night on Family Day. We get to talk some baseball next. Pitchers and catchers reporting to Dunedin. Oh, baby, that means baseball's right around the corner. How do we feel with the Toronto Blue Jays offseason, their failed pursuit of Shohei Otani? How did they respond? What do we look for next out of this group? Shai Davidi is going to join us from Sportsnet to break it all down when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. In just a few days, the Toronto Blue Jays will take on the Philadelphia Phillies to kick off their spring training schedule Saturday at 11.07 Calgary time. The 2024 edition of the MLB season gets underway on this Tuesday. The first full squad workout happened for the Toronto Blue Jays in Dunedin, Florida. And before you know it, we'll be talking about regular season baseball on the airwaves here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Looking forward to it. Can't wait uh, for baseball to get back. We've got plenty to talk about already. Pitchers and catchers have been together for a couple of days, and we're starting to get uh, the storylines together for this season for the Toronto Blue Jays. And I uh, love chatting Blue Jays with our next guest. It's Shai Davidi from Sportsnet.ca joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline on this Tuesday. Shai, thanks for the time, man. I know it's busy season, but uh, appreciate you doing this. Yeah, no sweat. How's it going? I'm good, man. How about you? Uh, excited? We're getting back to uh, to baseball in just a couple days here. Yeah, it's uh, we had a kind of miserable weekend weather-wise here. kind of limited some of the activity, but uh, the sun's back out, even though it's a little bit cool for Florida. Uh, but it's uh, skies are blue, and it's nice to see baseballs flying deep into the sky and uh, traveling a long way over fences again. Uh, as we sort of get set for this spring training to begin in full for the Toronto Blue Jays and, uh, you know, people start turning their focus back towards baseball, uh, obviously there was a lot of off-season storylines surrounding this Jays team and there'll be plenty to talk about as spring training goes on. But uh, for maybe the, the fans that are just getting tuned back into Blue Jays baseball, when you look back at the off-season for this group, Shy, how would you sort of evaluate the work done by Ross Atkins? 
it's a really weird off season, right? Because you have two extremes in one, there's this just incredible, uh, you know, aspirational element to it in trying to pursue Shohei Otani, a, you know, quite literally a once in a century type of talent. Uh, and then, you know, that was always going to be like a low probability outcome. Uh, the industry had long expected he was going to end up in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. And that's precisely what happened. Uh, and then from there, the Blue Jays shifted into this very conservative, maintain the floor type of offseason. And they they bring back Kevin Kiermaier. They sign Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. They add Yariel Rodriguez, a pretty intriguing right-hander, to create some pitching depth uh, and sign JT Turner as their big offensive piece. And the, the they're all solid moves that you can certainly make a case for. But when you compare them against the ambition of trying to land Shohei Otani, it creates a bit of a dissonance there. And so I think that's really uh, what Blue Jay fans have – at least in my estimation, have struggled with over the past uh, past couple months. And uh, it's really been a, a lot of the, the focal point seems to be around the team right now uh, as they try to, you know, ensure that the disappointing ending that they had to last season doesn't have a repeat again this year. So Ross Atkins and company tell us that they're they're done with any big additions unless it comes from a subtraction somewhere else. As you look at the roster as it's constructed and we head into our first spring training game on Saturday for this group, Shy. Where are the storylines that exist for this roster as it's currently constructed heading into that game? Yeah, I mean, it's. I found that interest, that comment really interesting and, and you, that Ross Atkins made, and you, you, can, you can parse it a number of different ways. And you didn't rule out making some subtraction who just made it clear there'd be some, some pieces uh, or I guess some corresponding pieces that would have to follow any sort of major addition. Uh, but the the storylines are really, you know, the, the blue they made two minor league uh, uh, deals uh, that they added to the mix in Eduardo Escobar and Daniel Vogelbach, and they're going to have to figure out whether those two are going to be part of this team or not. And uh, my initial thought is that they have to sort of play themselves off it, but we'll see. Uh, and then what are the spinoff effects for the rest of the roster? How will they divide the time uh, at second base? Uh, probably with, uh, you know, Kevin Biggio and uh, David Schneider, and Santiago Espinal in some court combination uh, carrying the load there. Uh, maybe with uh, Escobar and Isaiah Kiner-Falefa handling the duties at third base, that that probably makes some sense. And then the other piece that's, uh, that everybody is going to be watching and of vital importance is, you know, is Alec Manoa back? And he certainly uh, did the work this offseason to get his body prepared for the upcoming season. Um, it looks good, at least in early bullpens, but Again, once uh, once he gets back on the mound, he starts seeing the results. Is he able to repeat his delivery? Is he able to locate his fastball? Is he able to start getting some of that swing and miss that that was important to him? Uh, that's a question that the Blues is going to have to figure out over the weeks ahead, uh, because there are a number of dominoes that will fall as a result uh, if that goes well or if that doesn't. Do you guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and maybe even Alejandro Kirk fell into the same? sentence as Alec Manoa when looking at guys who potentially need to bounce back for this Jays team to have the kind of success they're looking for? 
Yeah, for sure. Not just those two guys. You can throw Dalton Varsho and George Springer uh, to into that mix as well. And look, I don't know that you can understate the importance of or the potential impact of, of Vlad, peak season Vladimir Guerrero Jr. on this team, right? I mean, if you put 2021 Vladimir Guerrero Jr. into the 2023 Blue Jays lineup, we're having very, very different conversations throughout this throughout this winter. Uh, now, you know, it's not you know, asking him to hit 48 home runs again might be a bit tall, but sure. you know, he's capable of being that good, and that's a massive swing. And Alejandro Kirk has been an All Star. Alec Manoa has been an All Star. You know, Dalton Varsho has been better than a league average hitter, uh, along with one of the top defenders in the game. You know, George Springer, we know what he can do when he's at his best. So, you know, the, uh, that can be the bulk of the Blue Jays' improvement. You just think about how much of those guys performing to, to their previous levels changes the mix last year, and that makes the Blue Jays significantly better if it happens. But those are ifs. You can't guarantee that. There will obviously be some other players who probably won't have uh, the same seasons they had before for whatever reason. Uh, and so that's where you can get into the off season and did they add enough? So uh, that's where Justin Turner comes in, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Kevin Kiermaier coming back and Yario Rodriguez. Uh, but ultimately I think you go back to the, the premise of your initial question. You know, if those guys are all better then this team looks a lot different. And just quickly on, on Vladdy, I know some fans, We'll hear arbitration and immediately, um, you know, worry about a relationship. <laughs> I think maybe that's a product of being the only baseball team in Canada, shy where uh, a lot of the focus is on hockey and arbitration means something uh, a lot different in hockey than it does in baseball. But early comments, and I know you wrote about this at Sportsnet.ca um, from Vladdy, certainly make it seem as though there's no hard feelings between him and the team after going through that process, hey? Yeah, I mean, sure, and uh, I think there's also, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. understands that what's done is done. Uh, I always think, uh, and I do believe there is damage caused by taking a player to arbitration. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. handled it very, very maturely, uh, you know, but there's the, the that's the type of thing that creates baggage, right? Like sure. that experience happens and it doesn't go away. Now the sides can, it's, it's a, a lot of it is about how the sides move past it from there. And Ross Atkins made it pretty clear last week that he was going to, it was his Ross responsibility to ensure that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. moved past it. And so, you know, I think that obviously it's a good sign that uh, Guerrero didn't uh, you know, share any public frustrations uh, or over, over the, the affair. But I, I, still see nothing but downside for a team uh, taking its star player to arbitration uh, and especially when you they lose as well because it's like mm-hmm. not only did did you uh, did you um, make the player go through that experience you know you were wrong in the arbitrator's eyes as well yeah you sort of risked alienating the player and didn't come out any better financially for it right yeah, it's also the you know the, the the premise upon which you base your negotiation, right? The arbitration process in baseball is based on comp uh, on 
finding a suitable comparable. And so, you know, whatever the Blue Jays comparable was, uh, the arbitrator did not believe that was an accurate reflection of Guerrero's performance and value, and that sided with the comparisons that Guerrero's camp made. Uh, Shai Davidi is along with us from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, talking some of the biggest storylines around the Toronto Blue Jays as spring training gets underway in Dunedin, Florida. The Jays have their first spring training matchup set for Saturday against the Philadelphia Phillies. I uh, mentioned it a couple of times now, but uh, I'd love to get your initial impressions on, on Justin Turner and how you see him fitting into this Blue Jays lineup this season, Shy. Yeah, I'm, I really like the, this addition. And he's somebody who comes to the Blue Jays with a track record of production. Uh, he's a career, I believe, 318 or 320 uh, hitter with runners in scoring position and we obviously know how that's been a sore spot for the Blue Jays, uh, all or how that was a sore spot for the Blue Jays all last season. Uh, a playoff performer, another thing that the Blue Jays could use, but the it's also the intangible that he brings, right? He's got uh, he's highly respected for his hitting acumen, his ability to share that information with teammates, uh, the way that he gathers teammates together and unifies a clubhouse he's somebody that i think a lot of players will listen to in different ways and not that he's going to come in and just say hey you guys all have to listen to me but he has a reputation for quickly earning the respect of those teammates and teammates wanting to follow his lead so i think all those things uh make him a, a pretty important potential presence for for the blue jays and you're starting to see him both acclimating to his teammates, them acclimating to him, the group spending time together, laughing together, talking, hitting together. Uh, all, all those things are you know, part of what he brings to the table and have been pretty evident already. Significant or insignificant that he was one of the names that Bo Bichette had brought up earlier in the offseason and he winds up in Toronto blue when it's all said and done? I mean, it's significant in the fact that it's reflective of the respect that players had for him. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. today was joking about how uh, one time at first base last season, he said to Turner, hey, uh, since you're a free agent this fall, you know, think about maybe signing up with us. So, you know, the, clearly the guys want him, wanted him on the team. And I think yeah. that piece of it's important. But that's not, it wasn't just that, hey, Bo said, go get this guy. So the Blue Jays went and got him. Right, the the Blue Jays had, you know, made their pitch to him at some point in early to mid December, and had spoken to him and met with him and discussed uh, the, you know, how they saw him potentially impacting their team, and, and the discussions eventually played out, and he ended up signing uh, late last month. So. It, it, it's it, it's a, I think it's reflective just that you know this is a guy who's well respected and well liked by good players and, and not just not just anybody uh, all around the league and uh, but but I, the Blue Jays got him because they believed in him not just because some of their players wanted it. Uh, what are the biggest things you're going to watch for over the next uh, couple of weeks in in Florida, Shy? What uh, are, are there specific players that we maybe haven't mentioned that that come to mind that you're really intrigued to watch? Are there specific battles maybe um, that that fans are going to be intrigued to to watch work out over the next couple of weeks? Where are you going to? I know you're going to focus on a little bit of everything, but what intrigues you maybe the most about what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks with this team? 
Yeah, well, I mean, aside from the the two pieces we discussed earlier, which would be how all, all the infielders f- fit together with Escobar and Vogelbach in the mix and uh, Alec Manoa's progress, uh, I'm curious to watch uh, a few of their young players. Obviously, Ricky Tiedemann is a left-handed pitching prospect that's gotten a lot of attention, and he's somebody who I would expect to pitch in some way, shape, or form for this team this season. Uh, but... You know, that depends, obviously, on the health of others, his own health, and the type of progress that he makes. Uh, Orelvis Martinez is another person I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, him, Damiano Palmagiani, these are some guys, uh, some prospects with big power who are knocking on the door. And the way that they can do damage with one swing, it could be an element that the Blue Jays need. And both of them have been pushing upwards. So the, those are a couple other guys to keep an eye on. Uh, there's a, a young outfielder named Alan Roden, who's probably going to start in double A, although there are some people in the organization who'd like to see him start at triple A this season. Uh, he's somebody who could become a factor at some point this season too. really good bat to ball skills, uh, really well regarded for his baseball IQ. Uh, just uh, another intriguing piece who could be important for them. So uh, those are a few be, uh, of the beyond the obvious stories that, that I'll be keeping an eye on. Um, but it's a great time of year because you get to see uh, the, you get to learn the organization and see what have guys done, how they've progressed uh, be over the, over winter, who's jumped, uh, whose stock has risen, whose stock has dropped. And uh, that's to me, a big part of uh, the weeks ahead. Uh, last one for you, I guess I've got two more for you, I should say. Quickly, on what have you heard from, from John Schneider and the coaching staff uh, as spring trainings rolled around earlier? Have we heard uh, a different approach? Were they going about their business differently than last year? What have kind of been uh, the initial takings from how the, the management group and the coaching staff is going to head into this season? Yeah, for sure. And look, there have been some changes to the staff as well, right? Yeah. DeMarlo Hale is back as an associate manager, and he's going to be a very important voice. He'll be helping the Blue Jays on the defensive side and coordinating a lot of the pieces there, but also being part of uh, how information gets disseminated to players. He's someone that's very well respected. So that's one change. Don Mattingly is going to lead a, a new offensive process uh, as the offensive coordinator for this team. And that's going to be of vital importance as well. And so there'll be a a more unified approach in terms of game planning and some fundamentals at the plate that uh, Blue Jays hitters can use this season. And perhaps that helps a little bit because last year the structure was quite different in that regard. So uh, those are a couple key differences uh, the other thing John Schneider mentioned on the first day of camp that you know, he looked back and thought, okay, I need to get better at uh, communication. Uh, it was one of the things that he thought about. He you know, obviously felt this communication was pretty good last year, but there's always room to improve. And uh, that's one thing that he said that he was going to be thinking about and working on this season. Uh, and last one for you, it's probably more big picture than it is Blue Jays wise, but it came from a guy in Dunedin. You wrote about it. Uh, just yesterday at Sportsnet.ca, I'm curious what your take was hearing from Justin Turner about the the MLB and, and the free agent process, and looking at spring training starting now around the league, and so many great players haven't signed or are going to have to sign for 
one-year, maybe lower-money contracts than they thought. It was an interesting, you know, kind of uh, view from a guy that, as you mentioned in his article, in your article, Shy, you know, was one of the few ones that probably got lucky signing as late as he did to get the kind of money he did, but it's not the same for everybody right now. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a topic of conversation, right, where a lot of players are, like, looking at, whether it's Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery or Cody Bellinger or Matt Chapman, and not just in Blue Jays camp, but in camps around the majors and are being like, Hey, you know, these dudes can help us. Like what's going on? Like, how are these guys still on side? And there's obviously some, there are other dynamics at play there. When you look at uh, the, those four specifically being represented by Scott Boris, uh, the influential agent who uh, is known to stare teams down and uh so there's there's that element at play too but uh, the fact that those players or so many of those players remain unsigned right now as camps are getting going it's not great for the game right you don't want players of that caliber not with teams and there are other players who to some extent may be dependent on those players to sign uh, because teams that lose out on them may shift uh, afterwards to to them, you know, they're stuck in limbo too. And so it's not great for the players. It's not great for the teams. It's obviously not great for fans. It makes it tougher for teams to get the best out of those players. It makes it tougher for those players to perform the way they want to. Uh, there's just, uh, there's a lot of bad and a lot of negative to it. So I think Justin Turner is very happy that he's in a, in a camp right now. He had to wait until January 30th, I believe. Uh, for his deal to get done, which isn't a lot of runway, isn't a lot of time to figure out how you're going to arrange your life. Uh, other players are going to have a lot less than that. And again, for all those reasons and more, it, it's just not great for the sport right now. Sean Davidi's latest up at sportsnet.ca just dropped this morning on uh, the MLB dream of Yariel Rodriguez becoming a reality with the Toronto Blue Jays, part of just uh one of many great uh, spring training pieces you can find up for, uh, at sportsnet.ca from Shy and, and others covering the team in Dunedin. Shy, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for hopping on with us. I know you're busy right now, uh, but can't wait to chat with you during the season again, pal. Yeah, my pleasure. Appreciate you having me on. Anytime. Take care, Shy. See ya. Bye now. Shy Davidi joining us from Sportsnet and sportsnet.ca in Dunedin, Florida, covering the Toronto Blue Jays. Spring training begins Saturday. 11:07 first pitch the Toronto Blue Jays and the Philadelphia Phillies today the first full squad workout in Dunedin Florida we'll have Blue Jays baseball on your radio before you know it uh regular season baseball will be here and uh we'll have everything Blue Jays for you right here on Sportsnet 960 putting a wrap on today's show thanks to Shai Davidi for joining us uh he and Dennis Bernstein our guests on the show today if you missed anything Lots of Flames talking hour one, including hearing from head coach Ryan Huska and Oliver Shillington. Uh, find us on the podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, your favorite podcatcher. We'd love to have you along for the ride. Thanks to Shannon Cam, my outstanding producers on this Tuesday for their great work. And thank you for listening live or on the podcast. If you sent us a text at 960-960, appreciate you being a part of the show as well. We'll be back for a special Wednesday edition show of Sportsnet Today following uh, Calgary Hitman Hockey on your radios. Have a great Tuesday. Talk to you Wednesday for another edition of Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.